Hello and welcome to another episode of Might, the official podcast of St. Michael Catholic Church, Gastonia, North Carolina, where we are invested so that we might be transformed and fully the Lord Jesus Christ. I am your host and director of evangelization, Shane Page, and I am joined this week with the illustrious Father Rossi. You understand that word, don't you? <laughs> and I'm glad to have you on this podcast. Thank you. Because we're uh, back we at a, it. Yes, we're back at it again. How you been? I've been well. Um, it's been a very active few weeks with school starting. Yes. And we're happy to have the children back and the teachers are back and seeing the children going through the campus and going to the playground and having mass with them every day. And uh, it's just good to have that life back. Oh yeah, and it's very active. Uh, Fifteen minutes ago, they were just screaming outside the uh, the door. You couldn't, nobody, our listeners couldn't hear it, but they were very rambunctious. Um, but there is so much happening here at the parish, and uh, what I want to talk about really in in this episode here is to go back to your homily from Sunday. This was the twenty first Sunday of Ordinary Time. Yes. And by the way, if you're listening to us, you haven't uh, heard Father Ross's homily. You have to just hit pause right now, and you need to go and listen to that homily. It is available on the website stmccg.org. Um, it's imperative that you that you listen to it. I've heard from other people in the parish. They said it was your finest hour. Mm. Um, which, as a as a preacher. <laughs> <laughs> You can have a lot of those. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a like, what does that exactly mean? I guess, does it mean it's all downhill from here? here? But, uh, that's right. But it was absolutely excellent. And, um, but it, you were speaking about, from, right from the text, the, the chair of Peter, the, the office uh, that, that Christ established upon Peter. And I want to ask you some questions about it. Uh, but before we get to that, you know, you started out your homily talking about the division that we're not listening. We're all yelling, but we're not listening. Mm-hmm. Um, you've certainly seen that phenomenon in the parish and, and elsewhere across uh, across the media. Um, what gave you the idea to begin the homily with our divisions as a uh, as a culture? Well, I was. Uh, I I mean, obviously, there's. Where do we see division in the church? It would be in regards to uh, the man holding the office of the Pope now, Pope Francis, that there are, you know, those who want to, um, you know, if they speak favorably and defend him, then they're on one side, and then those who vilify and attack are on another side. Um, but that we see in the church in our current time, in our climate, and maybe especially in the United States, just this... Um, coalition, you know, factions and formations of ideologies uh, going on. Um, You know, Catholics know the lingo of I'm a liberal, I'm a conservative, I'm a traditionalist, Um, you know, I'm a middle of the road, I'm a left of center, you know, all these. And years ago, I I really became, it's frustrated. I mean, and I know I've, I've been labeled and I have labeled myself and I have gravitated towards, you know, someone who might say, oh, you're too, you're a traditionalist or you're, you know, you're right wing or you're, you know, whatever. But, you know, sometimes years ago, I remember saying, you know, we, we, as Catholics, we really should just be concerned about being one type of Catholic, which is a faithful Catholic, right? Not a, not a liberal Catholic, a conservative Catholic, a progressive Catholic or whatever, you know? Um, So those labels are unfortunate and we use them all the time. And I think it's one way of just um, not, listening to somebody else because you find out oh they're in this camp they put their flag in that corner and now I already know and have judged and whatever so it really hinders the gospel and the work of evangelization in the church today 
Um, and so uh, I think just bringing that reality out that in our culture, it's just in our nation, it's very divisive and there's a lot of polarization, not just within the church, but in the nation. Not so much here in the parish. I mean, the parish by and large, I think, has been um, a great experience for me as a pastor. I mean, yes, there's always going to be um, a divisive spirit in, in that, that creeps in, but um, I feel very much like we are a family and that we are all trying and striving for holiness. And, and my, going to my sixth year here, I, I, don't, I don't get the sense that there's massive factions and groups here, uh, which is great. You know, I, I, we just are all trying to be saints. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all headed towards heaven. That's our goal, right? So, um, so that a blog post that I had referred to, everyone is yelling, no one is listening. That was a phrase that just came to my mind, I think, in praying and preparing for the homily. Just, well, what is the problem, right? And that that came to mind. Everyone is yelling and no one is listening. That you turn the news on, there's just people are just yelling their position, attacking the person and not it's very hard to talk about issues anymore because it's it's just well you don't agree with me and I just hate you you know I mean and that's what this blog was saying was really it's just about hatred and resentment and attacking people and not getting after the issues and just discussing differences in a way that's just civil and so this blog post was saying civil conversation is basically gone in our country, you just can't do that anymore. With, because if you try to bring up a different point of view, there's just going to be attacks. Yeah, and, and, and this is the result of, of many things, but one of which is in when you have a society with, with no objective common good, mm. um, which is going to be the result of a society that uh, no longer has a sense of the transcendent. And many other Catholic bishops and scholars have talked about this. Um, when you have no sense of the common good, then it becomes a will to power, as uh, the philosopher Nietzsche talked about. It's just like, my, my power against your power. And so how am I going to make sure my power wins and prevails at the end of the day? I've got to be the loudest, most obnoxious voice in the room to push you down. And so what we're really seeing is what Nietzsche had talked about 250, 300 years ago, however long it was, of the will to power. Um, That we are just blocks, power blocks, trying to outdo one another in vitriol and rancor Mm -hmm. and and silencing. And it's an issue. It is. It's destructive. And I I think the Vatican has been weighing in on this in recent times, too, just to say that the the social media... um, uh, environment has become this place of uh, destructive speech and um, that we need to be where is the care for the human person in this realm now that that people are just seen as digital composites that you can just rip apart without any without any thought and, and but it's just it's become so commonplace hello someone's giving a talk puts up a post or a speech or a homily or a whatever and then just read the comments and usually you'll, you know it, people just go berserk right and, and uh and then you have people supporting but they're just fighting and yelling there you go again and and whatever discussion maybe could be fruitful isn't happening um so the the reality of the struggle to just to listen 
and I think listening has been interpreted to mean, oh, that means you mean you agree with somebody. But I mean, I, where is the human art of listening uh, today? Uh, and who are we listening to uh, as well? So the, the, in this, that, that can continue to drive the wedge of division depending on who we're listening, quote, listening to. Um, and I think with the criticisms that are levied against the Synod, I think the Holy Father, the intention is to call the church to listen to the Holy Spirit, to listen again. And I wonder, um, well, maybe because we, how do we assume we are, but if it really is just nothing but divisiveness and rancor, and then maybe we do need to listen and be brought back to the prayerful listening of um, openness of uh, the Holy Spirit. And that saying, well, the Holy Spirit doesn't have anything new to say. Well, all the revelation's been given. Um, but in the, as far as in the, in the practicalities and the way the church's mission is advanced, um, that's something we discern uh, in every age. You know, now we're in an apostolic age in Christendom, as many church leaders have said, is, is now is over. You know, that we are in a different age for gospel proclamation than, than before. Um, and there's no transcendence in the culture. There's no, it's just the natural life is the only life. Science is all that there is. And there's no out there beyond objective higher power. And we don't even have, you know, at least in the time of the apostles, you had pagans, they believed in other gods. That's it had right. some transcendent notion of, well, there's an out there uh, other being, beings, uh, whatever it is. But now uh, it's really me and my, my screen and uh, that's that's people's world and reality. Uh, that's this is as uh, we've just never been here before. Right. I think it's I, I I think what the social media is doing is is drawing out something that is endemic in the human condition. Um, and I'm not going to wax too philosophical here, but I'm reminded of Rene Girard. I've read a lot of Girard uh, philosophy. I love Girard, um, but his thesis is that division. My word's not his. Division is the default position of the fallen human nature. Mm. We will always err toward division. And he makes this brilliant uh, argument that the first human community, how did it all begin? How was the first human community established in its fallen condition? Well, division. What we tend to do as human beings, without even thinking about it, he calls it a mechanism. It just turns on. We're not aware of it. We have to have somebody from the outside show it to us, reveal that this is how you are. What, what the first community in its fallen state was is that there were two people, three people, four people, however. Okay, you got three people. Well, they don't know who they are yet. But then suddenly there was one within the community who was the cause of all the problems with everything else called the scapegoat. And so the three or four people got together, pointed fingers at the one, and now I know who I am because you're against this person. I'm against this person. You're against this person. Now we've got a community hmm. understood to be something over against our enemy right. that we are blaming for everything. And you can just trace through history. He calls it the scapegoat mechanism. But it is the default position. Unless we are resisting it, we are always going to gravitate toward division and vitriol, blaming someone else for all of the problems in society. And, and until we can get rid of that person, there will never be peace. And what Richard said is that the scapegoat mechanism actually does work. What tends to happen is that 
once a group of people have identified the scapegoat and said, well, we just got to get rid of this, uh, exclude, expel this person, peace does come for a time. Wow, it worked. We got rid of the person that we were blaming for everything. Mm. He was the problem. But then what happens? It always comes back and we go looking for the other scapegoat. And so it is a cycle that never persists. You see this Twitter mobs? Have you ever heard of that? All of a sudden, everybody is ganging up on someone on Twitter, just smashing his feed or her feed with all kinds of threats and vitriol, trying to silence and cancel culture. So it's the default position, and that is so fundamental to recognize in us. It's not other people. It's it's in me, Father. It's in you. Oh, of course it is. And it turns on without us knowing that we, we find ways to divide ourselves against others, and we understand who we are over against our enemy. And so I suppose, you know, the way forward is Catholicism in its fullness. It's the universal faith. It means the voice, her voice is universal. She has something to say about every, everything of humanity and culture and climate and, and every aspect of existence. In the created world, the church has something to say. It has a voice and has um, a place to guide, right. you know, and... Uh, there's nothing that the church can't speak on because it's all about humanity in the end, humanity's relationship with the, each other and with the transcendent. So, um, if how do we? Where's the checks and balances for that kind of behavior that you're talking about? Which it's in all of us. Yes, we and we should admit it and look in the mirror and say, I know I contribute to this, mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I gravitate toward it. And we all know this because look at the news channels and just look how things in the industry of news and blogging and all kinds of um, um, of that is is generally based around that that tribal coalition uh, mentality. Just get with the group that thinks like you, mm-hmm. and they will just keep telling you all the reasons why but you're that right. Group only understands who they are That's because right. there's someone outside of them right. who they pinpoint as the problem. So, <laughs> so I say with the catechism and learning our faith, you know that we need to embrace the fullness of the faith in everything that we teach and that's the checks and balances you know of um if you're how you know to to label a catholic who embraces the fullness of the faith as a conservative makes no sense you know or a liberal because no it's all those those labels only cling to certain tenets of our faith more than others over and against different ones Um, so in order to have sanity and clarity we need the catechism we need the scriptures we need the magisterium we need what god has given us in the church you know Um, so with all the division how does anyone have any unity right well the catholic church is the only uh, uh, institution uh, that is is the place for which uh, humanity can find true unity in Christ, right? And so, um, ultimately, uh, as I said last Sunday about the the holy the holy office of the Pope, the papacy, Christ said to Peter, "I'll build my church on this rock. On this rock, I'll build my church." To Peter, he says that you know, so that our unity um, is found and sustained by Christ. But how and through what? Through the office of the Pope. What was going through your mind? I mean, you, you know the readings well in advance, and you knew that the, the readings were going to be from Matthew 16. 
what was going through your mind, you know, Monday through Saturday, the vigil mass, leading up to your, your homiletical moment um, that inspired you? I'm just, just kind of getting, we want to get into your mind. Like, well, what, I mean, what was I, going through your mind? Discussions, your right? Discussions with that had with you and some others here on campus and just oh, ongoing discussions that we've had um, about uh, Pope Francis, but just in particular, um, the just the, there is a constant wave of uh, criticism, uh, which can we critique and 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 struggle over statements or teachings or what is or lack thereof of guidance that might be in Rome. We mm-hmm. we can, but I think that uh, it, it's become clearer to me that it's it's. It's not just about that. It's become just um, it's become attacks on the Holy Father, uh, his character, um, and just labeling him, um, and which we do with other bishops and with each other, and we do it all the time. But I think that 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 my concern is that Catholics we Catholics have to wake up to the fact that this isn't this is not the way. We can't look like everybody else. And especially treat our leaders, uh, even if we disagree with them or we think they're making incorrect decisions, we have to approach in charity and and in, in, in faith. And that when there's this clamor, rancor that you know the Holy Father is gonna, just going to lead the church into total destruction, uh, I don't. How does that how does that fall in with what Christ preaches? Um, with I, I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith would not fail. Which was a great point, you know. And I have prayed for you, and uh, that Jesus has promised that the gates of hell doesn't mean that hell is attacking us. We're attacking hell. The gates of hell will not prevail. Meaning, the church will be triumphant in her mission. She will have victory over death. Uh, hell will not be able to stop the church. Right. I mean, that's what we read that the other way. We think that the gates are. The hell is not going to prevail on the church. Like the hell is attacking us. Like no, the church is on the offense. If you read that clearly, it's the gates of hell. The gates don't attack; they get attacked. The gates right. aren't going to prevail. Meaning the church is on the offense. She's coming. She's advancing her mission, right? And so, and there is no church then apart from the rock. Correct. I mean, I don't. And, and I looked at what the saints were saying, and I really, I've read through again in the catechism the office of the pope, the papacy and responsibilities and the authority that the Pope has. And it was a homily on the Pope, not the Pope we have now necessarily. And I may not even have even mentioned his name, partially because the point is what I said is what we believe as Catholics. You know, so it, it applies to anyone in office because it was really a homily on the office of the Pope, right? The office of the chair of Peter, um, and that uh, we have to understand that that the office is the source uh, and the foundation of our of the unity of the church, and that's the Catholic Church teaches that. So we have to check our attitudes spiritually towards the Holy Father, and also to check ourselves and say, what are we really showing about what we believe as Catholics and how we approach. Um, the Pope and documents and doctrine and teaching and and whatnot, um, and that uh, if we live and act in a way that makes it seem like 
all will be lost very soon. I say, well, I, where has that ever? We've had plenty of times in church history where we've had very immoral church leaders and holy fathers, to be certain. The church is still here for 2,000 years, not because of the moral stamina of, of certain popes necessarily. It's because Christ has been intervening with divine authority and divine assistance and with these particular men in ways we don't understand. And that's the only office in the Catholic Church where Jesus himself has guaranteed divine protection against error mm-hmm. in faith and morals. That's the one. Everybody else does not have that protection. You don't have that protection. I certainly don't as a lay person. No other bishop has that. Only the bishop of Rome has that protection. And I guess what I have been um, confused about is the message that all of the worries and the attacks against the Holy Father make it seem as though it is our job to protect the Catholic Church from the Pope. Mm -hmm. And that just sounds so fundamentally absurd because it is absurd. It's not our job to protect the church from the Pope. It is the Pope who has the assurance of Jesus himself to protect the church in its doctrine and in its uh, official teachings. Yeah, I mean, it does seem backwards when you say it like that, right? (laughs) I mean, so we we have to trust that Jesus is guiding that he he is guiding protecting the whole that the office of the pope. I mean, if we can't if 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 the argument is is being presented that we can't even look to the chair of Peter anymore, is that somehow that is now there's been a defect. It's a defection. Or I don't want to call it, but you know, I say, well, then then I don't know how. Then someone tell me how we understand Jesus and what he said. Peter mm-hmm. gave him the keys, gave him supreme authority or the church, uh, which he can exercise, and the knowledge that Peter had to call Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, of the Christ, the Son of the Living God. That knowledge came from heaven. The Father in heaven gave Peter that knowledge. Yes, and I want you to speak speak about that because you had mentioned in your homily that only Peter has that special charism. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you mean by that? That special charism of the mind? I, I'm not sure. I remember. I exactly think just a charism. A charism. Bishop Barron used this in a, his commentary on that reading, but um, that is a charismatic knowledge of the Son, of who Jesus Christ is. That the Pope has that specific charism. There must be something, in some way, in the connection with Christ that the Pope can know or have. I don't know some kind of revelation, I suppose, um, that that is that's proper to the office. That there's some divine assistance that's connected and Garrett that's that's connected to that that position. Yeah, and that all other offices exercise their authority in union with the, the Holy Father. The bishops are infallible and share that infallibility when they teach in union with the Holy Father. So it's still the Holy Father who's infallible. Um, but we need to be clear on that too. We we throw that out and blanket everything on what the Holy Father says and say, well, he's infallible. He's not an infallible man. He's a sinner, and they all are. And every time he sits down and says something, doesn't mean he's being infallible. He can say something that's not correct and give an interview and say something that's an error, you know. But is in his official teachings and um, when you're delivering those through 
the proper uh, channels of the church, um, you know, if there's going to be a doctrinal judgment, well, that's different than I'm giving. I'm answering questions with a with an interview person. You know, uh, the Holy Benedict XVI wrote the books on Jesus of Nazareth, and he made it very clear. I'm writing this as uh, you know, a theologian, and I'm she not wasn't sitting on the chair. Yeah, sitting, I'm not. Yeah. Uh, this isn't. These are his uh, personal, experiential knowledge as a theologian, and he was sharing that theological gift with the church. But and yeah, his name's on there, right? But I think we have to be. You know, infallibility is um, is 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 there, but it. it I think we. I think we've pushed it to a realm that it was never meant to be in. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, it seems to be that you misjudge everything that any pope says and say, well, everything he says is infallible. That's not what no. the church doesn't and teach. Our non-Catholic that. friends need to know that yeah. as well. So he's not infallible in a matter of prudential, like prudential judgments. Yeah, I mean, he could make he could have an appointment of someone in some office right. or something Oops. and realize, oh, that was, okay, that good was a decision. mistake. You know, so I mean, he's you know, do they make mistakes? What one wouldn't admit that they that they haven't? Right. You know, I mean, um, so when he's making solemn pronouncements or defining doctrine, that's when he has the protection of of the Holy Spirit, the guidance right. of the Holy Spirit yeah. in those moments. Cathedral, you know, and then I don't know if we've talked about this in the podcast, but I know that you and I had a conversation about it last week. Cathedra, ex cathedra, when the Pope pronounces something ex cathedra. That actually has a New Testament origin. And uh, in Matthew, is it chapter 23? I can't remember Matthew chapter 23. If you've got your device, maybe you can look it up, where Jesus talks about oh, right. the chair of Moses. And you Correct. and I talked yeah. about that. You know, he was, of course, he was using this example as a way to, to, to criticize, to, to castigate the scribes and the Pharisees. But he says that these people sit on the chair of Moses. Jesus says, these people, these scribes, these Pharisees, they sit on the chair of Moses. And the Greek word is cathedra. They sit on the chair of Moses, and then Jesus says, Therefore, you do everything they teach. Just don't live like they do because they're hypocrites. And I find that to be really profound that our Lord himself says, The ones who sit on the chair of Moses? They have authority. They've got the authority. You do everything they tell you. Just don't live like them because they're hypocrites. So how much more then does it apply to the one who sits on the chair of Peter. So are there have there been hypocrites that sit on the chair of Peter? Yep. Sure. But what have they taught? The Lord would say, you do, mm-hmm. because they sit on the chair. Fascinating parallel. Right. I mean, it, it's, it is a massive responsibility, and, and it's a massive undertaking, you know, and the Lord uses explicitly unique language to talk about how you know the Pope is the chair of Peter is the rock, the foundation, the visible source of unity. You know, um, because Christ is the real rock. Jesus is our source of unity. We understand that, but never apart from the Church. And how can that ever be done apart from the Vicar of Christ on earth, which is the Pope? Yeah, one of the things that I really also appreciated about your homily, and it was a moment of humility and vulnerability, that you yourself confessed that there was a time when you paid little attention. Right, for years, sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, for sure. Mm -hmm. And that it took your uh, conversations and interactions with the non-Catholics who are becoming Catholic to kind of wake you up to this kind of reality. That takes, actually, courage to say something like that in a public way. But I thought it it was meaningful uh, for you to to make that that claim about yourself first. 
uh, because there has to be many others who I want know who, who really cares what the, what the Pope is doing I'm going to go over here and just kind of live my life but that is not the essence of Catholicism at all right and I, I and it's made me wake up more to trying to be more intent on listening and learning what's really going on and being careful not to just listen to certain commentators and certain news outlets right that ultimately it's, it falls to just if it's if it's that much of a struggle then i have to dive in myself to said document said encyclical uh with the synod too you know the synod has been something i've largely misunderstood or uh, didn't feel supportive of that initially but you're on the I mean, we've had the synod yep. uh, level here at the parish because bishop and the holy father have asked us to do that we did that and now you've been asked to participate in a in a leadership role as we continue that onto the higher phases preparing for the fall but you've been helping me just understand what the synod is really about too and um think just maybe a little bit from your standpoint maybe for our listeners that aren't either have kind of shut down the synod yep. uh and just understand well, what is what it's really what is he really after i know we did talk about it on a, a few podcasts and, and the fear mongering is happening um people don't know this but uh there's a book going around uh, and priests you have gotten it um that tries to undermine the purpose of the synod and the fear is that pope francis is going to change doctrine that's not the case uh, it is a matter of trying to incorporate the bishops and the lay faithful, which is what the catechism refers to as the census fidelium. And I think you've got the definition right here for the census fidelium open as well. So Pope Francis' mindset, just to kind of back up, was, well, we've got the bishops, they got the charism, but the, the church itself teaches that the lay faithful also have a charism yeah, so how the, can they be included in helping to reform the church again i know we said this a few weeks ago for the sake of evangelization that's the purpose of the senate to help us evangelize the non-believer uh, so the supernatural sense of faith this is catechism uh, paragraphs 91 through 93 the all the faithful shared in understanding and handing on revealed truth so that says, all the faithful share in understanding and handing on revealed truth. They have received the anointing of the Holy Spirit who instructs them and guides them into all truth. Now, this, that's the, this is all the faithful, the church is saying. So not just the hierarchy, not just the clergy. Paragraph 92, the whole body of the faithful cannot err in matters of belief. This characteristic is shown in the supernatural application of census fidei. On the part of the whole people, when from the bishops to the last of the faithful, they manifest a universal consent in matters of faith and morals, which seems to be, I wouldn't, I would say this seems to be what the synod will help to um, bring about, manifesting a universal consent in matters of faith and morals. Yes, that's right. But of course, the faith and morals there—it's not like I have a, I have a fancy, and here's what I think the church should do on my own. Therefore, I'm infallible. It is to lay faithful together, also in union with the magisterium, in union with the Pope. Right. And that in the last little paragraph for 93, by this application of the faith aroused and sustained by the spirit of truth, the people of God, guided by the sacred teaching authority, magisterium, receives the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. The people unfailingly adheres to this faith, penetrates it more deeply with right judgment, and applies it more faithfully to daily life. Yep. So in the Senate, we got the, uh, the lay faithful together to have conversations about where do you think 
the Holy Spirit is leading the church, calling the church to address for the sake of evangelization. Um, that was the, that was the key. And um, there were conversations in all these parishes and there was overlap in so many of them together. And then the overlap made it into a document, the North American Synod document. Now, what people are mistaking it as doing is that, well, there were people who were talking about radic radical inclusion and we need to be more inclusive of the LGBT community. Ergo, that means that we want the church, that for the church needs to uh, welcome uh, the practice of homosexuality, it's no longer a sin, and uh, you're able to receive communion. No, no, that's not going to happen. That, that, that can't be changed. But is the LGBTQ community, when they look at the church, do they see an obstruction? Mm -hmm. Do they see a block? Do they sense that they are welcomed? Well, you and I can sit here and say, well, of course they're welcomed. I mean, we're all sinners. They all, but that's not the case for thousands of people. Okay, that's an evangelization issue. So how can we as a church become a listening church to meet people where they are so that we can form their conscience to bring them in union with Christ in communion so they will understand what the church has taught? Precisely. But, that, but what they hear right now is just, they are, according to those who participated, is just condemnation. Mm -hmm. They are met with condemnation. Therefore, the last place I can be on a Sunday would be the church. Right. Which is... We're the insiders. We know that's not the case, but it is an evangelization issue. So, so there's not going to be any change. Now, are there people who would love to see the LGBTQ? Are there faithful Catholics out there who would love to see homosexuality no longer even considered to be a sin? Yeah, I'm sure there are. Mm -hmm. There are those who would like to see women ordained and become priests. Yep, that is true. That can never be taught. That can never be changed. That can never become doctrine. But just because it can't become doctrine doesn't mean I can't say it. Right. And so, so now they have that information. What have the church has been saying to us, to the bishops, to the Holy Father? Here's where the issues are. How can we meet them where they are? And how can we address this and be a church for those who feel excluded from it? That's probably a roundabout answer, but that's the essence right. of the synod. And then there will be judgments made by the Holy Father in the end, right? He will, yes. Uh, there will be a synod of the bishops. So there will be the synod with the Pope. And after that, the Pope will speak. And he will pronounce. And um, it was his pronouncement back in 2015 to allow the lay faithful to participate in another synod. He had a bishop synod, but in 2015 he said, yeah, but the census fidelium, the church teaches that even the lay faithful, it can't be, they can't err. Um, we need to bring the lay faithful in to help reform the church. And reform is not a dirty word. The church is always in reform. We're always needed to reform. And we want to progress to such an extent that we can be a church uh, that evangelizes all people for the sake of the gospel well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what um, where this really leads. I'm sure many are uh, interested to see where it leads, right? But... We have to have the faith in Jesus Christ that he has built his church on the, on the rock, right? So he knows what he's doing. Yeah, I, I, somebody put it like this, and I loved it. What's going to happen, uh, what's gonna happen at, the, at the Senate in Rome? Well, the Pope will be there. Uh, what are they going to be talking about? Lots of things, but the Pope will be there. Um, what's going to happen after the Senate? The Pope will be there. The Pope is going to be there, 
And the Pope has a guarantee for our Lord. He's not going to teach error. We can trust it. Right. We don't have to save the church for the Pope. Yeah, I think the areas that are a struggle, we have to, I think we have to really look at those where individuals are struggling and read the catechism, you know, read the scriptures, read what's being said from Rome in its entirety. I mean, we don't read, we're not reading anymore as a culture. So we need to study and read. And if we're struggling, we need to try and find out um, what is being clarified or what or what's being asked and what's what understanding is being deepened or clarified there and um, yes it is confusing times but I also think some of that is because um, you know we're looking for uh, unique answers or answers in a way that aren't maybe being presented in, in in a particular manner but in a different manner in that you know, someone says, well, I just want to know yes or no. Well, they're actually, even Christ himself did not answer yes and no questions uh, frequently. Uh, he he uh, pulled people in by parable. He made people uh, think uh, and introspection. I mean, he, you know, how many, how many people will be saved? A lot of people ask Jesus, you know, questions that should be simple, but not that he's trying to confuse people, but I think he's, I don't, you know, he's inviting, he's inviting um, more, uh, more depth. Yes. To, to, uh, to his followers. Yeah. And, and so we don't, and the other thing is nobody likes change. I don't care what, even if you're a non-religious person. We don't deal with change well. We don't like it. We like knowing the future. We don't like the unknown. Uh, we want to know the whole plan as it unfold before it unfolds. You know, uh, but it's 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 never been that simple. Uh, no, and, but we have nothing to fear. I mean, the church does teach that there is progress in doctrine, but there's never going to be an aberration in doctrine. It's never going to become something new. And, and radical, but I think for all of our listeners here, St. Michael, we should have absolute peace about the synod process and not be afraid about what's going to happen. My fear is that whatever ideological camp we tend to occupy, we're already making our interpretations. And nothing's in the synod hasn't even happened. It hasn't even happened, but we're already drawn. We've already come to conclusions. I mean, they're, well, they're going to change doctrine. This is going to destroy the church. And there are others going to well, say, well, this hasn't gone far enough. We didn't ordain women. Um, the ideological, back to your, your original point, the open your homily, we have got to recognize how our own attachments to our ideologies is a hindrance to the Spirit's work. And it, is, it's, it can become, our ideologies can become a kind of God in our yes, lives. Yes, absolutely. You know, I, I've got this right here. I, I won't spend too much time on this, but Pope Francis, this was a recent article. He was asked by a Jesuit or someone who's becoming uh, a Jesuit. And I'm not exactly sure where, where the location was. This was not in the United States, but this uh, young man went to the United States and visited. And he asked the Pope a question. He says, uh, I would like to ask you a question uh, as a religious brother. I am Francisco. Last year I spent a sabbatical year in the United States. There was one thing that made a great impression on me there and at times made me suffer. I saw many people, even bishops, criticizing your leadership of the church. 
And then he goes on to ask uh, Pope Francis to respond to this. And Pope Francis gave what I thought was a great, uh, a great argument. He says, you know, you've seen in the United States the situation is not easy. There is a very strong reactionary attitude. It is organized and it shapes the way people belong, even emotionally. Uh, he says, I would like to remind those people that being backward looking is useless. Now, what do you mean by that? He goes on to talk about how the church says doctrine progresses. It expands and it consolidates over time. And then this development uh, comes from the roots of the doctrine upward. And he says, for instance, to this, uh, to this, uh, this man who questioned, he goes, today is a sin to possess atomic bombs. The death penalty is a sin. You can't employ it, but that was not so before. As for slavery, some pontiffs before me tolerated it, but things are different today. So things do evolve, they do develop. And he's calling the people, many of his critics in the United States, to be open to this and not to be afraid of it. He is not out to destroy the church. Um, he says to this young man, you have been to the United States and you say you have felt a climate of closure. Yes, this climate can be experienced in some situations. And there you can lose the true tradition and turn to ideologies for support. In other words, ideology replaces faith. Membership of a sector of the church replaces membership of the church at large. Um, so again, even from the Holy Father, beware of our ideologies. Right. And I do fear we're, we're, we're already jumping to conclusions. Sure. And, I, and we're in the, the media firestorm that continues can we were just we're, we have to acknowledge we're so easily influenced by that so and i am and i you know you just have to just stay away from some of that and because it's just an industry of whatever ideology that they're they're holding on to it's an industry of ideology it's just they are existing to support that ideology and nothing else i mean where would certain groups and factions be if you know if there's a faction that supports you know, and their their industry supports Pope Francis, and and sort of carte blanche, he can do no wrong. Right, which and is then, just and as then, dangerous. And then if they cite him for something that he did, an error, you know, of uh, uh, appointing the wrong person, or well, there where would their industry be if they were no longer supportive or looked like they weren't supportive? Same thing for those who attack the Holy Father for many, many things. Where would that industry be if they showed up the next day and said, well, here's some great things the Holy Father's done that we're really happy about. Well, they're, they're never going to do that because that's their whole industry is that he is the worst pope we've ever had. And if they say anything different than that later, then it all falls apart. Yeah, well, you know, one So if the balance has to come from... Uh, our prayer and our using our minds and thinking for our, for ourselves uh, to search out what the re what the truth is and being aware that uh, we need to allow ourselves to truly be guided by the church her magisterium by the scriptures by the word of god uh, by tradition yeah. and uh, that's I mean, the church the church is our mother and we need to keep embracing her as such She's also the body of Christ. She's inseparable with the Lord. You cannot cut off yourself from him and then still say you're in the church. Yeah. Um, 
I, uh, this one part of uh, his response didn't make me laugh, and it goes back to what we've been talking about. He mentioned uh, there was a superior general in the Society of Jesus, and he realized that uh, it was bogged down, the, the Jesuits, it was just bogged down. And uh, his name was General Ledokowski. Anyway, he created what was called the epitome. Try to get the constitution of the Jesuits together so that the Jesuits would know what they were supposed to do. He sends it out, and he says the first person to respond to it said about this new uh, reform, you have killed the society with this. <laughs> we, 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 we just default to say you're destroying us. You are, you are harming us. But now, of course, uh, the Jesuits are going through another kind of reform, and those are reacting against the new reforms who like the, the one that was the old reform, which was despised before that. So we tend to just be so suspicious, and I think that as Catholics, we should be at peace. We should not be suspicious. I think we could be critical. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm, Pay uh, attention, be critical, but don't be suspicious when you know we have a pope who has been conferred the keys, and, right. and that is Jesus' own guarantee. Right. And that's In the end, that's the office. It's the office that has that guarantee. Yeah. So and, and in the end, what what are you, what are you hoping? What was your goal uh, when you're preaching the homily on Sunday? What do you want the takeaway to be for the people of St. Michael, um, for any Catholic uh, that listens to it? What what is your hope? Well, that Jesus has built his house. Jesus built his church on rock, and that rock is the foundation of unity. So to stay in unity. As a church, we need to stay in unity with the office of Peter. The office, it doesn't mean I'm, I'm, we're holsting up the man in the office as some um, person who makes no mistakes. A demigod. Yeah. Right. And that, that Christ, this is our faith. Our faith teaches that Christ has founded that, founded the church on the rock. He's protecting and strengthening the rock all the time. And the church will not be given over to destruction. When you so we need to have fresh ears and eyes to look at the office of, the, of Peter. It is a it's a gift to the church, and we need to defend it and pray for it. It's protection, and the person in the office we need to pray genuinely uh, for that person in that in the role of responsibility. That it's just it's immense. Yeah. How can anyone fathom the responsibility that the, that the Pope has? And so, of course, nearly anyone could say, I would do better. Uh, but the reality is, is the providence of God has allowed the selections of the Holy Fathers to unfold as they are, and we, it's divine providence. And we have to accept what God has revealed to us. And... Uh, God put him there. Why Why would it be any other way? And he'd say, well, people are politicking. They're always doing politicking and bureaucracy. And the, 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 uh, the miracle and the amazing thing about it is that is God still leading his church and still you know, he has the, he, he has the person he, he has willed, his will has allowed, permitted, whatever you want to say, to be on the chair of Peter. There you go. There will be two things that happen. We will get another pope one day, or Christ will come again. You know, but in the meantime, he comes in the in the form of the Holy Father, right? <laughs> as the vicar. Uh, your last words. You you had mentioned something that I did not know that Saint Augustine had said. That what did you say? You were quoting Saint Augustine. When Rome has spoken, the matter is settled. Right. Something to that effect. That's the Catholic. Rome mindset. has spoken, the matter is settled. Okay. 
and that that doesn't mean don't question and wrestle with teaching but but that is Catholicism in the end is we have we have that rock of unity that we know uh, which where the church is it's it's around it's always where we find the Holy Father and this idea that we can break off and sever ourselves or even internally just ignore and put the Pope aside and he's just irrelevant he's not needed I just don't how where is that in our in our faith and where the, the saints are and where in the catechism if you read the catechism you know we're running out of time now but reading the catechism um, on the Pope I recommend people do that the Pope has tremendous authority tremendous power tremendous um, graces and it says a lot about what the Pope is able to do there's a whole not there's not a whole lot about what he can't do <laughs> right I mean we have faith and morals we have that protection but yes the Pope can make some massive changes because he can yeah. and if he does we have to take it as though Christ himself has spoken our faith would say yeah that's how we ought to look at it well thank you father for that uh, you know, fine homily that uh, I thought was very challenging it was very compelling and um, every Catholic needs to hear it. So if you have not heard the homily or you have heard it, you go find that link, you share it with your friends. It needs to go viral. Um, and Catholics in this point in time, we just need to be Catholic. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Father, for your time and for your faithfulness uh, to your office here at St. Michael. So if you've got any information, uh, if you want to know more about our church, please visit us at stmccg.org. And on behalf of Father Rossi, we will see you next time. Thank you. God bless.